We ask you, O oh Lord, to touch this place with the hallowed presence, the spirit of the living God. Lord, touch our minds and our hearts just now. There's so many things competing for our attention today. We're living in a fast-paced world. There's so many things that are going on and so many things we've got in front of us today and the days of this week and on ahead. But Lord, we pause right now and we submit to you this very moment for a spiritual encounter. We need an encounter with you, O oh God. We need you to touch us as only you can. For without your touch, we cannot preach, we cannot do anything apart from you. Touch us, O oh Lord, today that your word and the preaching of the word would be successful and that your word would return to you with a purpose for which it was sent. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is great, great uh, scripture. Put it on the screen for us, if you will, please, and I'm going to read that with you. Amen. It's good, good stuff. About 10 verses. Paul and Silas, who is also Silvanus, and Timothy, who is Paul's son in the spirit, to the church. Now, who are we writing to here? Saved people. Saved people. People in the first century that have heard the message that Jesus saves and Jesus heals and that spirit baptism is available for you. So here these folks are in a church, not a Jewish congregation, but a Gentile congregation. In fact, the Apostle Paul is called the Apostle to the Gentiles. He built this church and established this church in Thessalonica, a great town, a great city, a metropolis. It was an outstanding city of culture and art. And Paul and Silas and Timothy to this church at Thessalonica in God, in God, in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a salutation. Look at the next verse. Grace and peace be unto you. Hey, you cannot separate grace and peace. They go one another. They, they complement one another. They, they work off of one another. You can't have peace without the grace of God. You can't have forgiveness without peace, knowing that your sins are forgiven. Grace and peace, and this is a common salutation that is given by the apostle to all of his churches. Grace and peace be unto you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you. We ought to thank God for one another. Do you thank God for other believers? You thank God for other churches? You thank God for other pastors? You thank God for preachers that are preaching the truth? You ought to. We, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing. Your faith is growing. Your faith is growing. Hallelujah. I hope that can be said about harvest. Your faith is growing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Now how is that connected? That as your faith grows, you become more loving. As you know more about God and as your commitment to God and your walk with God it increases and becomes more mature, you start loving people more and more. You love God, so you love people. The love of all of you that you have one for another is also increasing. 
Praise God. I, I, I want that to be true about harvest too. That as we grow in grace and as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we also grow in our love for one another. You believe that's the will of God? Oh, you're awful quiet this morning. That bunch down in South Georgia shouted their shoe heels off and preached me till nearly one o'clock. Didn't want me to quit. So you get better. Come on. Your faith is increasing and growing and your love for one another is growing. Next verse. Therefore, why is that therefore, therefore? Because your faith is increasing, because your faith is growing, because you're loving people better than you ever have in your life, you're less selfish than you have been at any point in your life. You're more concerned than you've ever been in your whole life and getting better every day. Touch your neighbor and say, getting better every day. Getting better every day. Therefore, being as you're getting better and growing and increasing, therefore, among God's churches, we boast. We are proud of you. We're so proud of you that everywhere we go amidst God's churches, we tell them what great faith and perseverance is in the church at Thessalonica and it's all in persecutions and trials that you're enduring. Hold it, Paul. You're telling me I'm growing in grace and I'm growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus while in the midst of great persecution and great trials and all that stuff's going on in my life and I'm still growing? Hey, that means you don't shut down when times get tough. That means you don't shut down and throw in the towel and stop growing and stop increasing when things get tough. When things get tough, you go, just keep on growing. And he said, I'm so proud of that that everywhere I go, I tell people that at Thessalonica, those folks are growing and increasing and they love one another and they've got great faith and they're right in the midst of severe persecution and trial and opposition. Pastor, are you telling me that I ought not to sit and pout and get sour when I'm, somebody's done me wrong and hurt my feelings and offended me? You, you mean that I'm not right in doing that? No, I can't brag on you for that. Give me something to be proud of. Give me some news that I can scatter that's worth scattering. Give me some news that I can tell and encourage people that, hey, you can take it too and you can grow too and you can increase too because if Thessalonica can do it, you can do it. That in the midst of persecution and trials, you are enduring, you're still growing in faith and you're loving people better than you ever have in your life. That is great stuff. You didn't hear another word today. I just preached a great sermon to you. Therefore, all of this, all of this, you're, all that you're going through, all that you're enduring, all that you're, you're standing steadfast in, all that you're, you're having to do all to stand and standing therefore, all of that is evidence. Evidence. Evidence that proves a point. Evidence that God's judgment is right. It means God's estimation of you was correct. God, hallelujah, I'm about to shout. God had so much confidence in you that he let severe opposition come your way 
But God had confidence in you and rightly judged that you could make it, you'd come through it victorious, that it would not overflow you, it would burn you, it would make you want to quit, that you'd keep on growing, that you'd keep on being strong in faith, you'd keep a good attitude, you'd keep loving people. God was right in his judgment of you. God had good judgment when he said, that one right there will make it. When God calls you his child, when God calls you one of his elect, when God calls you one of his righteous ones, hallelujah, and then when you go through a trial and you come through it with your head up and your integrity intact, you, you're, a, you're a testimony. You're, you're evidence that God rightly judged you when he said she'll make it. He'll make it. Oh, you'll get this in a moment and you'll start shouting with me. All of this is evidence that God judged you right and as a result, as a result of God, hallelujah, having confidence in you and you made the judgment of God right concerning you, the result is you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Is God going to count you worthy? Is God going to look at Linda and say she's worthy? Is God going to look at, at Rick and say you're worthy? Is God going to look at Shannon and say you're worthy? He's a worthy representative of me. He's a child of God. Hey, hey Satan had a God, hadn't got a weapon that will prosper against him. Satan had a God, hadn't got a scheme or a device to cause him to quit that will succeed. Hallelujah, and I'm evidence, praise God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're evidence. You are evidence that God judged right when he wrote an evaluation out on you. Hey, there was a guy named Job one time that God had an evaluation, and the accuser of the brethren that we call the devil, Satan, the Bible said, the time came for all the sons of God to gather and Satan was there. How'd Satan get in a meeting like that? You tell me. Satan was there. And the Bible said, God said to him, Satan, whence cometh thou? Where you been? What you been doing? Now God knows where he'd been, and God knows what he'd been doing. Because God is omniscient and he knows everything and he's omnipresent so wherever he was, God was there too. So God knew the answer. He just wanted to get it out of his mouth. Where you been? From walking to and fro in the earth. And God said, well, what did you find? He said, more important is what I didn't find. I did not find one righteous person in all of my traveling and evaluating. You hadn't got anybody that's faithful to you. And God said, have you considered Job? Have you considered Job? You know that story and it's not part of the sermon today, but it could be. Because he's a good representative of what God said. You, you, you don't have a scheme that'll mess him up. You don't have a tragedy that'll trick him. You don't have any kind of fiery dart you can fire that he can't quench. He could handle it. Hey, what was it Gene Rice's sermon? If you can take it, you can make it. 
If you can take it, you can make it. Praise God. Hallelujah. You need to say to your neighbor, if you can take it, you can make it. Hallelujah. You can take it, you can make it. Every one of us in this house need to know that. If you can take it, you can make it. Because God has a strength and a power in his presence that makes you more than a conqueror, more than an overcomer in everything the devil may bring against you. God has made a way for your escape. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Next verse. God is just. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. He's a just and a living God. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. You mean what folks are doing to me, God is going to do to them? You mean the same affliction that I'm having to go through because of some misfortune, God's going to reverse that and turn that around? Well, if you can read it any different, then I invite you to come read it different. It just simply says, he will pay back. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Boy, what a verse that is. Better get off of that one. I'll make somebody mad. Next verse. <laughs> and he will give relief. He will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed. Oh, I can't wait that long. Lord of mercy. Brother Irwin's been here 33 years, and one of the first sermons he preached when he got here was the Lord's coming back. 33 years later, he puts it on the screen and says he's still coming back and says he's going to appear. That will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with all of his powerful angels. Wow. Is your God a God of fire? Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. What kind of a chariot was it that Elijah rode up into the heavens? Chariot of fire. What was it that Elisha saw around on the hilltops when he walked out and he prayed and said, God, let the scales fall off of Gehazi's eyes that he can see. And the scales fell off and he looked and he saw chariots of fire. See, Henry Mancini didn't just make that up and start playing it on the piano, did he? God has chariots of fire. Praise God. God has a, a God. He is a consuming fire. And he's going to give relief. Can somebody say relief? He's going to give relief to everybody that is troubled. And to all of us as well. And it's going to happen when Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Oh, glory to God. What an event that's going to be, right? Amen. One more verse and then I'm going to preach. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Wow. The books of First and Second Thessalonians are about walking this path that we call life in the light of eternity. In other words, it takes a panoramic view of God's overall plan and strategy for this 
dispensation of time. God has it all planned. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us how that event's going to take place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. I'll just quote it for you. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And yes, Jesus believes in shouting. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a great verse that is. And that's the next event on God's calendar. You call it the catching away of the saints. You call it the first phase of the second advent. Or you call it the rapture. Now the word rapture is not a biblical word. It's not found anywhere in the text. But just because something, that word is not there, that doesn't mean that that doctrine is not accurate and true. Rapture comes from a Latin word mixed with a Greek word, rapero, which literally means in the act of being caught away. In the act of being caught away. It's the best word in our English language to depict what will happen when the Lord comes back. In the act of being caught away. For the Bible said they would be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Knowing that, that the Lord is coming back, how we ought to live steadfastly and unmovable in faith and practice, in worship and in integrity with God in our walk with Him. Paul tells these believers at Thessalonica that I, number one, he commends them. He said, I'm so proud of you. That in the midst of all the things that are going on, you're a, you're a faithful church. You're going on in spite of everything that has tried to slow you down. Everything that has been devised out of hell to derail you and to distract you. But you didn't do that. You endured and you came on through the test and you came on through the struggle and you came on through the fire. And now he said, I am so proud of you. So proud of you. I, I, I would like... You know, there's a lot of things that you could be proud of Harvest at. Amen. Great people, great singing, great, great atmosphere, good, good people that love the Lord with all their heart. And I, I, there's so many things to be proud. But the number one thing to be proud of, about is Satan doesn't have anything that can stop us. There's no foe that can defeat you. If the Lord is for us, who could be against us? If the Lord is on our side, then what can defeat you? If the Lord calls you his people and calls you his evidence, his testimony, then there's nothing that the devil can do to stop a church that will be steadfast, a church that will be growing in love for one another and growing in love for the Word of God, that are increasing in the gospel, increasing in loving Jesus and loving one another, then the devil can't defeat that. There's nothing he can do to stop a church that is focused on that, those, those things, being strong in faith, being growing and increasing in love for God and love, love for one another. He just can't beat that. Can't beat that. He can't beat people of faith who have made up their minds that they were going to all go through. Believing the love of the truth is so important. 
But know this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 3 and 1. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. That men will be lovers of their own selves rather than lovers of God. You can read that with me if you'd like to. Covetous, boasters, proud, fierce, incontinent, despisers of those that are good. There's a lot of indic indicative. And you can just pick up the newspaper and read it with the songs inside the Bible. And it's corresponding. It, it's really something to me how so much prophetic fulfillment has come to pass since 1948. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, at the Balfour announcement, when Israel became a, a state of its own, since then, prophecy has speeded up such great rapidity that almost daily there are prophetic things that are being uh, heralded and, and talked about because God is a God that has a plan for all of the ages. If you think God is not in control, you need to think again. If you think that God has given up on his project on this planet, then you need to think again. Everything is according to his plan. Everything is according to his purpose. God is right on time. He's right on point. Everything, everything is being moved. All of history is moving along by the hand of our great God. And he knows where we are. He knows the times. In fact, the Bible said there were men who were of the tribe of Issachar that knew the times. They discerned the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. If ever the church needed men and women of God that discerned the times and could preach and teach and tell us what we ought to do, hey, it's very obvious that steadfastness and growing spiritually and maturing in God and growing and increasing in love for one another is something that's very important. In fact, the Bible said, know this also, that in the latter, latter days, not just perilous times would come, but he said, some shall depart from the faith. That means they will become apostate. They will stop believing that the Bible is infallible. They will stop believing that Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. They will stop believing in the truth of the gospel as it is in Jesus. And the Bible said they would be turned unto fables. The Apostle Paul, when he was saying goodbye to the people at Ephesus, he said, perilous times will come. He said, after my departure shall grievous people enter in. And he said, not knowing and not observing the truth of the gospel as it is in Jesus. The one thing that we must, we must, we must, we must, Continue to let the Bible be the rule of life for us. It is the manual that we have to use for our living. The Bible, the Word of God, is such a wonderful, wonderful source for everyone that names the name of Jesus. And the Bible said for everything we do to be in connection with the Word of God, with the Word of God, with the Word of God. This departure in the latter times, some shall depart. What happened? Giving heed to seducing spirits. Seductive things, what is that? Powerful, alluring things that want to sway you, want to pull you away from your position. And I can say to you that's a tremendous danger. It's a tremendous danger. There's a, a, a real, real test there for preachers who preach the whole gospel to kind of filter in order to achieve popularity and, and achieve acceptance with people. But there's a verse in Galatians 
I believe it's in the first chapter. It said, for if I seek to please men, I cannot be the servant of Christ. You see, to be a prophet, one who goes to people for God, you've got to be fearless. Not only be fearless, you've got to be bold and very courageous. To speak the things that God gives you to preach and to speak, you don't filter those things as only pleasant things and only things that make people feel good. Hey, we didn't come here today just to feel good. We came here today for an encounter. We came here today to see the Lord. We came here today to worship Him and, and celebrate His Lordship. Sometimes when we encounter the Lord, it's not such a worshipful thing for us. It's a time when repentance comes upon us. Sometimes when we come into his presence and encounter him, he needs to correct some things that are in our heart and some things that are in our life. Sometimes, as Isaiah, in the year when Uzziah died, the Bible said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what, what was his response? Woe is me. You see, when you see God like you really ought to see him, you'll then follow that up with woe is me. Woe is me, for I am unclean. My lips are unclean. I live in a land of people with unclean lips. And the Bible said, and then when I fell wretched on the floor, I'm glad God's grace is right there. Do you see this? When he said, I am unraveled. I'm coming apart of the sin. I am undone. And when he became undone and he fell to the ground, God didn't just leave him there. The Bible said, then flew one of the seraphim. And he took the tongs from off the altar and he gathered a, a, a live coal and he walked over and put it upon the lips of Isaiah. You see, God's grace will not let you lie there wallowing in your undoneness. He will not allow you to just go on in your, in your wretchedness. He'll, by grace, make a move towards you. And the Bible said he touched his lips with those live coals. And then Isaiah heard, had this. He said, and I heard them say, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And with lips that were parched from the burning fire and the coals, Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord. Sometimes when I encounter him, he challenges me. Sometimes when I have an encounter with him and I see myself as undone, that his grace always touches and reaches out to me. Sometimes when I need answers for things I don't know the answer to and I seek him, he meets me and he, I have an encounter and I leave there informed of how he wants me to proceed. You see, that, that encounter with God, it's, it's various, it's varied. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes I just get into his presence and have an encounter and I just praise him the whole time. Sometimes when I go to prayer and have an encounter with God, it's just a season of worship and praise to him. For I found out that in my praise and my offering unto God, up my, my, my emotions and my love and my, my, my desire for him, that he gives me a calmness and he gives me a confidence and he gives me a courage that I can endure, that I can go through whatever I'm facing because that worshipful event with him empowers me to go through what I have to go through. Encounters are, are what we're after. We're not after some, some good giggly, giggly feeling, some goo-gooness. That's not what we're after. We're after an encounter with God. We're after something that will leave him changed. Hey, if you don't leave here changed this morning, then we failed you. If you don't leave here changed this morning, then we didn't do what we 
supposed to do. If you don't leave here different than the way you came this morning, then we missed the mark. Somebody say amen. amen. Because I didn't come here to look pretty. And I didn't come here seeking somebody's braggadocious remarks or what. I didn't come here seeking acceptance. I came here this morning on a mission to deliver what God gave to me in secret to make it public to you and tell you that the most important thing that is on God's calendar is this event that we're talking about. This coming when he comes back and he's going to give us relief. That's such a great word. Relief. Are you this morning weary? Are you just tired of it all sometimes? You read the newspaper or you listen to the newscast and you just get up and say, Lord, have mercy. Come on, somebody. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Steve told me this last week. He said, Pastor, this world's getting in a terrible shape, isn't it? We talk about it often. With many of you, you talk to me and you tell me, I don't know how God can wait much longer, Brother Jerry. You've said that to me. Many of you have said to me, I don't see how that we're not in the very last of the last days, some of you will say to me. And the next thing we're looking for is the appearing of the Lord Jesus, the coming of the Lord. And when he comes, it's going to be a relief. Relief. Woo! Praise God, a relief. A relief, a relief, a relief, a relief. Praise God, a relief. All who are weary, all who labor, all who are, who are fist to fist, hand to hand in combat with adversarial foes, God is saying, I've got relief coming for you. Relief is on its way. Relief is on its way. God wants us to know that he is going to, to return the same affliction for that that we go through. Now, the Bible tells us there's a terrible thing that happens if we obey not the gospel, that if we turn a deaf ear, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. Hey, I've never seen a time when the church was more worldly. And I've never seen a church when the world claimed more religion. There are more religions floating around right now than ever has been. And it seems like that people are giving the smorgasbord, choose what religion you want. And personalities that are influential are making statements like, well, it don't really matter what you believe, just be true to what you believe. Just if you're a Buddhist, be a good Buddhist. If you're a Confucian, be good. Be a good Confucianist. If you're if you're a, hen, a good Hindu, if you're a Hindu, just be a good Hindu. That is Tommy Rot. That is a damnable heresy. There is one way to heaven, and that is through the Lord Jesus. Through the Lord Jesus. That in His name there is salvation, and there is salvation in no other. The Bible says. For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus. Jesus is salvation. Don't ever get to the place that you accept other religions as being okay with God. We're living in a time when people fall for everything and stand for nothing. When God's word is cast aside, where God's word is 
spoken evil of in some cases. It's amazing. I said it's amazing at what is going on in our culture. And I'm telling you, I see early signs of an affliction upon people who call themselves Christians because the gap is broadening right now in our culture between Christians and the cultural view of what's right and what's wrong. Amen. If you won't say amen, I'll amen myself. It is a stench in the nostrils of God that we have elected officials that disdain the word of God and speak evil of God's representatives. Pastor, is there hope for America? Yes. Yes. Yes, there's hope for America. If America will realize what our founding fathers had intended in the very first place, that we're a nation under God, not under gods, but under God, the God of heaven, the creator God, the father of our Lord Jesus. Even in our preamble, we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that our country realizes that the providence of God has brought about a country like America. That America owes its origin to God and to God's grace and God's will. Amen. And the Bible said, and the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. We said God is a just God. We said that God is a living God. Know ye not that the king of all the earth will do right. God is a right God, but don't be deceived to think that he's just a tottering old grandfatherly type that will tolerate anything. No, he is a God who is just and he is a God who is living. He is a God that has requirements. I said he's a God that has requirements. He is a God that expects us to do things. He has expectations. He expects his people to do certain things. He expects his pulpit preachers to preach and expound certain things. And we can't become docile about the things and casual about the things that God expects of us. Because he is a judge. And he is a righteous judge. Somebody say he's righteous. He is a righteous judge. Even in the face of extreme trials, the discouragement of seeing others fall away and severe persecution, those faithful Thessalonians, they believed and remained strong in faith and strong in commitment to what God had called them to. And that same thing needs to happen in Harvest and every other church in America. J. Edgar Hoover said one time that if the pulpits of America cannot do something about her problems, then they're a hopeless case. What? The head of the FBI said if churches could not do something about juvenile delinquency and the drug problem and the, all the domestic violence, if the churches could not do something about it, it was a hopeless case. What a statement. That means that legislators can't pass laws and change things. 
Only preaching the gospel is going to change things. Only people turning to the Lord is going to change things. Only people accepting as truth what God's word says is going to change things. You can legislate all you want to. You know that. You can make all the rules you want to make. But nothing changes until a people's heart changes. Wow. Pastor visitors won't come back when you preaching like that. This is evidence that the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a judgment day coming. Does anybody have hope? Anybody in this house have hope? I ask America, if America has hope. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? Titus 2 and 11 and 12, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing ought to make us want to live godly and righteously and soberly like knowing that Jesus Christ is coming. Nothing should want nor motivate us to be, get in an altar and pray and seek his face like knowing that the Lord is coming. Nothing should make us want to become more of a witness and a testimony to people that don't know Jesus more than knowing that his coming is near. There's nothing that makes me want to do the work of God more than knowing that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is coming, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul an anchor of our soul, that when the storm winds blow, we still have an anchor that keeps us in place. Our integrity is secure. Verse 6 and 7 is so, so compelling. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that troubled you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Praise God. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Observe that word in verse 7, when. It did not say if. It said when the Lord returns. Relief will come when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his angels in flaming fire. I didn't read the rest of that. I'll, let me read it for you, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. While it's going to be a restful time for us, it's going to be a relief for us, but for those that do not know Jesus, that do not know God, that don't obey the gospel, buddy, it is the beginning of sorrows. We have callers that call our church sometimes. Not all of our calls are pleasant calls. And we try to filter some posts sometimes when 
folks want to slam you. And one Don got in a little bit of a dialogue with, not, well, this last week, I guess it was. Some guy put on there that, don't go to that church. What was his reason? He said because the scriptures was nothing but old babbles that was put together. Scripture is nothing but old fables and babbling that somebody put together. That preacher just preaches fables and stories and babblings and makes all that stuff up. Come on, somebody. What'd you tell him, Doug? I told him that we would be praying for him. God loved him, and I hoped he remembered that post one minute into eternity. One minute into eternity. And Don told him something. He, he, he don't hardly be as mean about it as I am this morning. What'd you tell him about being right, Don? Yeah, I told him that if he was right, I was right. But if I was right, he was in terrible trouble. Woo! You didn't hear that. Don said, if you're right, I'm okay. But if I'm right, you're in trouble. And then you hit a button, Don, that's called what? Delete. What other button did you hit? I hit that block button. Block that button. Block that button. And that's what you need to do for anybody that tries to tell you that the Word of God's not true, block them. Anybody that tells you that Jesus doesn't save, block them. Anybody that tells you there is no hell and there is no heaven, block them. Anybody that tells you Jesus is not coming back, block them. Hey! Block them. Your ears are not garbage cans for people to put that rotten stuff in. You know in whom you have believed. And you're committed. And God is committed. And you've got a union. You know God. And God knows you. Taking vengeance. God said, vengeance is mine saith the Lord. He don't want you doing it. Said it's mine. Don't you take things into your own hands. Don't you go over and bless somebody out and be mean. Come on! God don't need you to do His work for Him. Oh Lord, put within me a clean heart and a right spirit. God doesn't need you to do the vengeance stuff. I said, God doesn't need you to do his vengeance. He can do it so much better than you can anyway. You don't need to do it. God can do it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So if God says, I'll take care of that, but Lord, that hurt me for them to say that. About. Well, my grace is sufficient for you, but I don't need you to retaliate. I don't need you to climb down in that gutter with them. I'll take care of that. You don't worry about it. In flaming vengeance, whoa, on them that know not God, they don't have a relationship. 
and they don't have the gospel as a manual for their life. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe because our testimony only among you is believed in that day. Wow. Well, God, what do you want us to do about the fact that you're coming back and that you're going to be troublesome to people that don't know you? What do you want us to do about that? I want you to go out there and tell them that they don't have to be in that predicament. They don't have to be lost. They don't have to be in a not knowing situation concerning me. That they don't have to be in a not knowing situation about my word. I want you to go and prepare them like somebody got to you and told you the message. And you believed the message. And you believed the word of God. And you went to your knees and you said to the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and I repent of my sin. And I want to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach. Tell people that Jesus saves. Tell people that Jesus heals. And make disciples of people. Train them, teach them, show them, mature them, develop them on how to live this life. There's a great verse. It's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord. Knowing therefore the terror, what it is to fear the Lord. The terror of the Lord. How do we respond knowing that the Lord, we persuade men. One of the motivations for winning people to Jesus is we know what the Lord has in his plan and we warn people of the coming destruction. You know what? I'm going to close. I read this morning, kind of ridiculous, that hell had a, a caucus. And all of the demons gathered around Lucifer. They said, how can we get people to leave the Lord and fall away during that falling away time? How can we, what tool can we use how can we distract people? How can we get them to not be ready when Jesus comes back? One demon spoke up and said, i tell you what we need to do. We need to use that tool called procrastination. That not now, sometime later thing. I'll put that off. I, I'm going to delay that right now and all of them cheered yeah that's right I'll tell them oh that's not really all that serious that, that's not really all that serious they just use that as a fear tactic to get people to get saved let's just tell people that that's not really all that important let's just tell people put that off don't you know the apostle Paul appeared before a man his name was Felix his wife's name was Drusilla and Paul told them how he was converted on the road to Damascus, how the Lord came into his life, touched his life and changed him, made him an ambassador of Christ. 
Felix rose from his seat and he said to him these words, Go away and leave me alone. I'll hear you again at a more convenient season. A more convenient season. And then I will give my heart to God at a more convenient season. As long as the devil keeps whispering that in your ear, a more convenient season. Not now. You're young. You need to enjoy all the, all the parties. You need to enjoy all that life has to offer. You need to have a good time right now. You can become an old stick in the mud and go to church and sit around like them people do later on in life. Don't do that now. Don't do that now. Delay. Postpone. A more convenient season. But if we could today go to the event we call a white throne judgment, you'd see Felix and Drusilla standing in that line waiting to go around and stand before God. Let's see if we can interview him. Felix, Felix, sir, could we have a moment of your time? Sure, I've got all the time you need now. I heard there was an apostle came to your courtroom one day and testified to you and told you about being saved and knowing Jesus. Yes, he did. What did you say? I told him I'd hear him again at a more convenient season. Well, what happened? Did you, did you miss it? What, what happened? The most regrettable thing of my life is I put it off and I postponed it and that time never came. I see another guy in that line. He don't have a name. He's just, boy, he looks rich, though he's got a beautiful robe on. Man, he's got sparkles and jewelry on and standing to wait around. Sir, sir, what is your name? Oh, I'm just a rich, young ruler. Well, what are you doing in this line? Didn't you meet Jesus? Yeah, I met him. Well, didn't you know who you were talking to? Yeah, I, I knelt down because I knew he was greater than me. Well, what did he say? What did he say? He said for me to go and sell everything I had and come and follow him and I would have treasure in heaven. Oh, he told you all of that? He told you what would happen if you became a disciple? Well, what did you do? I turned and I walked away. And I said no. Well, what are you doing here? I think this is where we all come that never make that decision. I see another man. Man, he's in, he's in the crowd. He's in line. Oh, boy, he's got a crown on his head. He's royalty. He must be a king. Sir, sir, what is your name? My name is King Agrippa. You met this same guy too? Yeah. He came in my courtroom and testified. Brother, I enjoyed his testimony. Something in my heart just rang true with what he said. I could just feel chill bumps come over me when he talked about Jesus and how he could make my life brand new. Well, what are, you, what are you doing here? I got up from my throne and said, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. You see, when you're asked at that point, what was the most regrettable thing you ever did in your life? And you'll say these words, The day that I said I'll put it off. The day that I said it cost me too much. The day that I said... 
I can't do that. Boy, you've got a chance today that those men would give everything in their power to have the chance you've got today. Those men I just talked to you about interviewing, they don't have a chance. It's over for them. But you've got a chance. You're sitting here today. You can make a, make a decision. You don't have to appear in that line. You can evade all of that and never experience that by simply saying yes to Jesus. Yes to the Lord. Come into my heart. Stand with me, please, all over this house. If you're here this morning and you're without Jesus, I'm telling you, you need to make the best move you ever made in your life. You need to take that first step and experience the most wonderful thing that ever happened in your life. If we could go to heaven today and we could interview the teeming millions and say, what was the greatest day of your life? Oh, the day I met Jesus. The day I said yes to Jesus. The day I let Jesus come into my heart and be Lord of my life. That was the greatest day of my whole life. Hey, this can be life's greatest day for you. If you're here and you don't know him, if you'd step out just wherever you are, just walk out, step out and come right down here to this altar and stand with me and I'll pray a prayer with you. Because salvation is not complicated. It's not hard. It's just a decision. It's a decision. If you need Jesus and you want to know him today, step out from where you are and come very quickly. Praise God. Then let me say it like this. If you're ready for Jesus to come in the next minute, let me see your hand. I'm ready. If Jesus comes in the next minute, I'm ready. If Jesus comes in the next minute, Pastor, I'll see you somewhere in the air. 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 Hallelujah. Well, I want to tell you, the greatest thing that you could have is not the house you live in, it's not the car you drive, and it's not the clothes you wear. The greatest possession you've got is the ability to raise your hand and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Praise God.